Uh, welcome to our online audience. You're watching this at a later date. It is Easter Sunday. Happy Easter once again to everybody here. As we gather today uh, to celebrate Easter, I want to talk to you about the time before there was Easter. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. There was a time before Easter. Easter hasn't always been around. There was a day before the first Easter. It was a day before there were any Christians. It was a day before churches. It was uh, the Bible didn't exist. It was that day. It's a moment in world history in which there were only a couple dozen men and women, Galilean men and women, and they found themselves before Easter, the day before Easter, the morning of Easter, with feelings of mistrust, distrust, and perhaps a little disgust. (laughs) What did we just spend the last four years of our lives doing? In other words, while you and I, we come together today in 2023 in Madison, Wisconsin, and we come to celebrate Easter, that first Easter, there was no reason to celebrate, which is worth talking about today. My reason for wanting to take us all back on a little bit of a journey back to this particular moment in time is because I believe it's the most compelling reason why you should reconsider or consider or continue to follow Jesus. It's the most compelling reason of all. In the afternoon after Jesus's crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go to Pontius Pilate, the governor, and they ask permission to remove Jesus's body from the cross. Now, this was not an uncommon request. It was just one that wasn't often granted. Victims of crucifixion were often just left on the crosses to rot. And eventually, And this is gruesome. Eventually, because of rot, they would fall off the cross. Then they would come, they'd clean up the bodies, and they'd go dump them somewhere. Because the point of crucifixion wasn't just to kill you. There were cheaper and more efficient ways to kill people than crucifixion. Crucifixion took work. And the reason that people did crucifixion was to wipe you off the face of the earth. There'd be no history of you. There'd be no grave. The people who loved you, your friends and family, there would be nowhere to go to mourn. It was to completely and utterly destroy you, which is what they wanted to do to Jesus. But as I mentioned, every now and then, you could go to the governor and ask for an exception. And usually it had to do with the money that you offered. And so these two men, they go to Pontius Pilate and they offer him some money to get Jesus. And the governor agrees, lets them. So after re- retrieving Jesus's body, they prepare Jesus's body for burial according to the Jewish custom. And then they placed it in a cave and they sealed it with a stone. Both these men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, had hoped Jesus was who he had been claiming to be for years, as did all of his first century followers, Peter, James. John, his friends, his family, they all had hope. He was who he said he was. And in this moment before Easter, they concluded clearly he was not. Clearly he was not. But, and as you know this, you have friends and family you love, and they're not perfect, and they make mistakes. They say the wrong things, do the wrong things. You still love them. And their friend Jesus, while he was not who they hoped he would be, Their friend Jesus was, in their estimate, still unfairly treated 
and he shouldn't he didn't deserve to die, and he certainly didn't deserve to die on a cross. And so for their friend Jesus, while disappointed he was not who they thought he was, still deserved a proper burial, and that's what they wanted to give him. So they give their friend Jesus a burial. His body is in the tomb, sealed at the opening, and then they go home. They're done. It's over. They had been wrong about this rabbi from Galilee. That first Easter morning, so almost 2,000 years ago, that very first Easter morning, let me tell you what you would have found. You would have found confused citizens, frightened disciples. They were hiding. They were worried that they were going to be next, that they were going to be crucified and killed just as Jesus had been. They were hiding. His followers who were women were brokenhearted. But you know what you wouldn't have found that first Easter? Christians. Because there were no believers that first Easter. There were no Jesus followers anymore. Nobody believed that Jesus was the Son of God, not God's Messiah. He wasn't the Savior. And think about it. He couldn't even save himself. That's how they mocked him on the cross. Now, not only did Jesus die that day, but so did his movement Nobody was planning on keeping the Jesus movement moving. Why bother? He wasn't who he claimed to be, which was the whole point of the Jesus movement. Jesus' ministry wasn't about some new ideology. It wasn't some new sociology. It wasn't about some kind of religious reform. He wasn't trying to improve something. Jesus came to replace something. Jesus came to fulfill something. And so when he died, there'd be no point in keeping this thing going. Contrast this with other social movements throughout, the his, throughout history. When the founder dies, their followers keep up their cause. As a matter of fact, oftentimes their death propels their followers to become more passionate and spread the cause further to keep the teaching going. History is full of examples like this. And you would assume, you would assume that with Jesus' kind of radical teachings, that that would have been the same with his followers, but it wasn't. His followers gave up immediately. They didn't even try. They didn't even last an hour. It was over. Jesus' message and his ministry, it centered on him. And the central claim was who he was. He claimed to be God. And this is what drove the religious leaders absolutely crazy. It's what led to Jesus' death. It wasn't just his stories, his parables, his teachings, but it was who Jesus claimed to be. He said, I am. He equated himself with God. He claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. What? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, I know. He claimed to be greater than Moses. He claimed to be greater than the temple. He claimed to be greater than the Sabbath. He claimed to be greater than all the prophets combined. And that's what got him killed. And as a matter of fact, if you've ever read the New Testament, and that's okay if you haven't, but if you've ever read the New Testament, you know that the disciples didn't choose to follow Jesus because of what he taught. They followed him because of who he was. Because oftentimes Jesus would teach something, and the first thing the disciples would do when they got Jesus alone would say, what was that? Can you explain that? What just happened? What is the meaning of this? Help us understand. You see, they followed Jesus in spite of what he taught. 
They followed Jesus because of who he claimed to be. The teaching was just a bonus, but it was all about who Jesus claimed to be. And now on that first Easter, they, they were wrong because Jesus was dead. Everyone watched Jesus die. And in that moment, they didn't just watch him die. They watched his movement die. And we know this is true because whether it's Luke, an investigative journalist in the first century, whether it's Matthew, one of his followers, an eyewitness account, where, wherever it is, what we see is that they write themselves into the story as unbelievers. They write themselves into the story as cowards who are hiding, afraid to die. They write themselves as people who did follow Jesus, and the minute they could unfollow him, they did. Nobody expected Jesus to die. Well, their, his followers didn't expect them to die. But once Jesus died, everyone expected him to stay dead. And so Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea prepare his body to do just that, to stay dead. And on that first Easter morning, no one was standing outside of the tomb, counting down from 10 like a New Year's Day party. It wasn't like that at all. They were not expecting on Easter morning for him to come out of the grave. On the contrary, and quite the opposite, they were not expecting anything. The women, the group of women I mentioned, his followers, went to go and take care of his body again to reprepare his body for permanent burial after a few more days of kind of that rot sat in. They were going to go and take care of him one last time. That was the first Easter Sunday morning. Now fast forward. 350 years. We'll come back to the story. But fast forward 350 years, and in late February, in the year 380, 350 years later, a decree, a law was issued by the Roman Empire, and it made, get this, Christianity the official imperial religion of the Roman Empire. Not only did they make Christianity the official religion of their empire they ended all state support for polytheistic pagan religions and customs. It wasn't just a support of Christianity, but it was putting everything else away. How did that happen 300 years after Rome crucified this figure, who at the time of his crucifixion could have been just called leader of this Galilean, this Judean cult? They crucified him with the help mind you, of his own people. Judas, one of his followers, helped. His own people, Pharisees, turned him in. And they crucified him. He wasn't considered a god then. But then Rome puts forth a law that says he is God. He replaced all of the Roman gods. And fast forward to today, if you've ever been to Rome, you know that there is no more Roman Empire as it were. The city of Rome, though, is still filled with crosses, commemorating not just crucifixion, but crosses commemorating a single crucifixion. Because nowadays, the Roman cross is no longer a symbol of suffering and shame as it had once been, but now the Roman cross represents hope and salvation. The cross that once stood for death now stands for life and love. And 1,500 miles away from Rome today, the old city of Jerusalem is filled with Christian tourists. And they come from all over the world just to walk the same steps that a discredited, crucified Galilean rabbi once walked. And back up and just look at the planet. Millions of people in just about every nation on earth. Millions of people 
consider him, Jesus, to be divine. And they gather as we are today to celebrate and recognize his lordship. So what happened? What happened between the first Easter and when the Roman Empire made it legal and to where we are today? How did we go from there where no one believed to where we are today and billions of people believe? Well, the story, as I've told it so far, it doesn't make sense. I'm obviously leaving out a critical detail. Something has been missing. What happened between the crucifixion and the moment that engulfed the world all over? I mean, what happened? That's the question. You'd say that there has to be more to the story. It's like when somebody's telling you a story and they skip a part of it, you're like, wait, 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 back up. There's got to be more to the story. And there is more to the story. Here's what happened. Early on that first Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb, as I mentioned, to prepare the body. And she sees that the stone has been moved. And you might think, aha, Mary's like, he did it. He rose from the dead, just as he said he would. I'm going to go tell everybody that he did it. But she didn't. She's not superstitious. Dead people don't come back from the dead, even 2,000 years ago. So she goes running back to Peter and John. And what she announces isn't Jesus is alive. She says something to the effect of, they have taken our Lord. They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and I don't know where they've put him. They've stolen him. Worse, I don't even know who they are. Who, who would do this? The Roman Empire, they stationed guards out there because they were scared we were going to steal the body to make it seem like Jesus rose from the dead, but we didn't do it. So did they? But no, they have no reason to. Nobody in the story assumes there's a miracle, even though Jesus predicted several times that this would happen. They all concluded, as you and I would, reasonable, logical people, dead people stay dead. So there had to be a third party involved who would have stolen Jesus's body. Now, this would have been the perfect opportunity for them to write themselves into the story, into some of the gospels as heroes of the faith. I was the one who I never lost faith. I always believed in what, I always believed in what Jesus said, even after the cross, but they didn't. As a matter of fact, Luke, as I mentioned, the journalist, Luke 2411, he's writing this, he's compiling this history of Jesus. And he says about the disciples, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. The women come, he's gone, somebody's stolen the body. They thought that was too far-fetched. That story's crazy. Who would steal Jesus's body? That makes no sense for anybody to do. And they run to the tomb. And they see that he's not there. Jesus would later appear to them. They did not recognize him, but they would, he would appear to his followers. Eventually, those people who, they had followers who ran away and left the city to hide because, as I mentioned, they were scared of dying. They came back to the city once some news reached out to them that he was still alive. And it was after seeing the resurrection that they believed. It wasn't because of something that Jesus had said in the past, because he predicted, he told them, I'm going to die. And he said, I will come back. It, that wasn't good enough for them. They had to walk with Jesus again. After they saw him die, they had to walk with him again and hear him again. They sat down and they ate with him again. And it wasn't just Jesus that was resurrected, but the movement, the mission became resurrected again. They re-engaged because of what had happened. As it turned out, Jesus was who he claimed he was. 
The apostle Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, was an advocate for the temple and all things traditional. He wanted to go back to the good old days. If he was alive, that's what he would say. If we could just go back to the good old days. He actually colluded with the Roman Empire to make sure that Christianity would die out. They had like a little goal. We'll make sure that they're not around after a hundred years. We're going to kill them all, prison them all. We're going to make Christianity so unattractive that nobody's going to want to be a part of it. And well, you might recognize the name Paul because your New Testament's loaded with things that he wrote to churches. He had a life-changing experience with Jesus. And once he becomes a follower of Jesus, he summarizes everything that I've said way better than I could ever say it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, to the church there. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Paul takes it back to this one fact, this one moment in history that when we said there's got to be more to the story, how did we go from no one to millions to billions of followers? And he says, the faith would be useless. Stephen, your job would be worthless. You're wasting Sunday mornings, if not for the resurrection. Apart from a single solitary event, the faith of every Christian who has ever lived is useless and worthless, according to the Apostle Paul. It's a fairy tale. The Christian faith, the church, and everything that those of us who are Christians hold dear, it just rises and falls. It rises and falls, and it's all held together by the event of the resurrection. What makes sense of what happened? The only thing that could make sense. The only thing that is actually logical and reasonable, and yet still hard to believe in, illogical and unreasonable. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the ultimate explanation that explains it to us. It's what breathed life and courage and hope back into his flailing followers, people who left the city, people who stayed at home and closed up the windows and never wanted to be found again. They came out boldly. And 11 out of 12 of his first followers died a martyr's death. It just doesn't make sense to do if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You don't all of a sudden get courage to the point of being tortured and killed anymore. Apart from the resurrection, let me point out too that no one would have bothered documenting Jesus's story. He just would have been a good dude, a good teacher who lived thousands of years ago, like a lot of other good dudes and good teachers. He would have gotten three or four little lines uh, in the ancient writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian. That would have been Jesus's story. But because of the resurrection, we have so much more than that. So every year at this time, we pause to celebrate and remember the reason that we believe is not because something was written, not because we're told that we should believe, but we believe because of something that happened. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that Easter happened. Long before there was a Bible, as we know it, there were men and women whose faith was anchored and sustained by the event of the resurrection. You think about those first followers for the first hundred years. They did not have the Bible as we have it today. They didn't have the collection of writings. Maybe they had this piece and that piece. Maybe they had a few of them, but they didn't have it. So what kept them going? What led to the growth of their faith? It wasn't this I know for the Bible tells me so. It was that I walked with him. I watched him die. I stopped believing in him. And then I saw him again. 
and I started to believe again, and this is where I'm at now. The resurrection explains why the early church survived the dual persecutions. They had persecution coming from both the temple, the religious sect of people who didn't like them, and the empire, because Christians wouldn't bow to the emperor. Why did this happen? Why did Jesus live this life, die this death, and come back from the grave? John tells us, this is how we know God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I know that for some of you, maybe this is your first time at Madison Church, you're listening or watching online, it's, you're doing this, it's Easter, you're here, you're, you're checking things out. In spite of what you've heard or how you've been treated by Christians, John continues, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. In an unprecedented move, a turn of events that Jesus predicted, all of his followers missed, in a twist that no one had anticipated, Jesus' resurrection punctuated the point of the crucifixion, which is that his secret ambition was to die so that we could live. And it was motivated by love. The crucifixion made no sense until Easter, and then it made all of the sense in the world because his claim that he would be a ransom for many was proven true. It validated his authority to forgive us of our sins. And if you are a Jesus follower here today, the resurrection means that you can have peace with God, it means that your prayers are heard and answered, it means that faithfulness matters. Faithfulness that goes unseen and is in the background or the room over that nobody else sees. Faithfulness matters. That your generosity counts, not just because you get a little bit of a tax break at the end of the year, but that your generosity really counts. But if you're not a Jesus follower, and we know that not everyone is, the resurrection provides you with a reason to believe, a reason to follow. It's a reason that supersedes your bad church experiences, and I know you have them. It's a reason that supersedes that bad church person you experienced, and I know you have. Because long before there were bad churches and bad Christians, there was an event that punctuated the claim of Jesus. That point being, that claim being, God loves you. Christianity is not faith and faith. Christianity is faith in a person who demonstrates through his life, death, and resurrection that he is worthy of devotion, not because of something that was written, but because of something that happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And I would like to extend to you today the same invitation that Peter would later extend to the citizens of Jerusalem once they acknowledged that Jesus was who he claimed he, he himself to be. Peter invited them, and I want to invite you to change your mind or the biblical word for that is to repent, but the Greek means to change your mind, to change your mind and turn to God so that your sins, all of the ways that we mess up physically, emotionally, and spiritually can be forgiven. And here's the great news. If at some point in your past you lost your faith, then you have something in common with Jesus's first followers because they also lost their faith. It wasn't until the resurrection that they believed. It wasn't until something happened that they replaced their faith or that they had faith in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, challenge you, invite you today to re-engage the God in heaven who sent his son Jesus to forgive us of our sins because of his great love for us. That's why we celebrate Easter.